Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Watching a television documentary on World War I on BBC, I was captivated by the stories of the horrors of the war. This was supposed to have been the war to end all wars. They were wrong, of course. There was only 18 years before the next world war was to begin. But the documentary featured numerous segments where survivors told their personal stories of their experiences and observations of and during the war. These stories created a realism that brought life to the documentary and wove into the narrative a human emotion that came as close as possible to giving us a feeling of the horrors these men had to endure. We should all be so grateful to them, and this year we remembered their 100th anniversary of the start of the so-called Great War. The appearance of red poppies are a reminder of this terrible part of world history. Bahamians served valiantly in both world wars. We are grateful to them for their sacrifice. During one of the segments featuring a World War I survivor, I heard him tell the story of having heard a pastor speak of hell. He said he was incensed and his memories aroused the horrors he had experienced in France. He said he was unable to hold back and said to the preacher, don't talk to me about hell. I went through hell once and I never want to go there again. Well, that reaction, while understandable from a human point of view, is misleading and reflects an emotional reaction rather than an understanding of reality. What I mean is, understandably, with horrible emotions and horrific memories etched indelibly into his soul, this man reacted strongly to any reference to hell, to a place, a location, an event where unimaginable, indescribable pain, fear and stress overwhelm a person. He said he had been to such a place in the war and was so horrible that he refused to think about ever going to such a place again. But that is not necessarily a decision over which he has control, is it? Years of time have come and gone Since I first heard it all How Jesus would come again
It is certainly a choice he must make, a choice, that is, as to whether he will ever go to hell again. It is unlikely that he will ever personally experience the hell of world war again. He can take comfort in that, I suppose. While he continues to live with irrepressible memories of horrors that he would rather forget, but all of his experiences took place in the world of reality, inhabited by men and women who live in a temporal world of politics and human emotions. His reactionary remarks completely miss the mark of realizing that there is also a very real spiritual dimension to all of this. I believe that the two worlds are not totally separated from each other; one influences the other. It is the dark side, the evil side, the side controlled by the enemy of our souls, that precipitates war and its horrors. The choice that this veteran of World War One must make, and which every living being must make, is where they will place their allegiance. This will determine whether one will ever have to face hell or not. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Other than this avenue to God in heaven, the only alternative really is hell. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear. Now is that stay? Humbling your heart to God saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way, pilgrims trod. Christians away. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will make it Trumpets will Trumpets sound, surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies, going where no, where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Troubles will soon be your happy forevermore. When we meet on that shore, free from all care, rising up in the sky, telling this world goodbye. Homeward we then will fly, glory to share. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet Trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies, going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. And now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus. Alan Lee. Greetings. With this message, we begin a new series that I've entitled "Jesus's Profile of a True Disciple," which is, in actuality, an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes. I am of the strong conviction that the Beatitudes are the most detailed description of a believer in Jesus Christ given anywhere in Scripture.
and all it takes is but a casual reading of these profound statements to come to the conclusion that the concept of a Christian as held by most today is not the concept that is given by Jesus Christ himself, who is the author, the founder, the originator, and the very essence of Christianity itself. In fact, I am convinced that if Jesus were to return to earth today, looking for Christians, using the Beatitudes as a standard for the determining who they were, we would be very surprised as to whom or how many he would actually find. We have, I believe, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, come up with our own criteria and standards as to who or what a true believer in Christ should be or do. For instance, whether we vocalize it or not, whether we say it or not, we have the idea that if we are really good Christians, the world will accept and respect us for our goodness, our godliness. And deep down, that's what we want. We want to live a godly life and then be looked up by the unsaved world. But what does Jesus teach himself? Listen to his words. Quote, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will go on hating you. End of quote. That's John fifteen nineteen. But what do we do as Christians today? We try to cuddle up to the world's system and values. We try to appease its pressures upon us through compromise and sometimes even withdrawal. So whether we realize it or not, what we are actually saying is, I am greater than Jesus Christ. You say now, Pastor Lee, that's no way. That's not true. Sure, I might cuddle up to the world or even compromise some of my convictions to make things a little easier to cope with. But I certainly do not think that I am greater than Jesus Christ. No way. Well, listen to the words of Jesus Christ in the next verse. Quote, Remember the word that I said to you. The servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep your words. End of quote. That's John fifteen twenty. How many of you who want to be Christ-like want to be persecuted? But you see, that has to be the focus if we are not going to be greater than our master. Jesus is telling us in no uncertain terms that the lifestyle of a genuine Christian will be exactly opposite of what the world expects or approve of. Not only that, he is also saying that the genuine Christian's lifestyle will actually generate opposition from the unsaved world. That's exactly what the Beatitudes teach, a lifestyle that is completely contrary to the thinking and philosophy of the world. They present a profile of the true disciple of Jesus Christ. They describe in detail the kind of person our Master wants us to be. And yes, my friends, if you profess to be a Christian, Jesus Christ is your master. And I say without reservation that these descriptions given here in the Beatitudes challenge the very status quo of Christian experience today. So as we study these fantastic biblical concepts, there are several important things we need to keep in mind 
as we go along. First, they are given in sequential order. In other words, each beatitude is dependent upon the other and naturally flows from the one that precedes it. In other words, we have to look at these as they are given in Scripture. We cannot take them out of sequence or we miss the message. Second, we cannot have one without the other. They form a cluster of virtues, just like the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And third, they demand a high standard of living and commitment. For instance, listen to verse 48 of chapter 5. Quote, Therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. End of quote. That's the Master speaking. Now, the Greek word for perfect in this verse is teleos, which means mature or complete. Jesus is clearly saying that his disciples are to be godlike, that is, to be spiritually mature, to be fully developed in character, to be Christ-like. Listen to Matthew 5.20, quote, I say unto you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God, end of quote. You see, the scribes and Pharisees were those who interpreted the scriptures and communicated to the people what they thought God required of them if they were to be accepted by him. They had reduced the will of God to a total of 613 commandments. 365 were positive and 248 were negative. Their emphasis was upon the externals, what a person did and they observed these laws meticulously. For them, it was what a person did that determined his righteousness before God. They prayed, they fasted, they tithed, they sacrificed, they attended the synagogue weekly. But Jesus says, that is not enough. You're still not righteous before God. Jesus' teaching was absolutely radical and revolutionary for its day. It went contrary to all the other religious beliefs and philosophies of the day that offered a way to find true happiness to be blessed of God. There were at least five different groups presenting such views at the time, and they are quite similar in content with what is being offered today. Dr. John MacArthur describes them in this way, and I quote him now, First, the Pharisees. They obeyed the traditions of the past. They were traditionalists. They held on to the old way. Their message was, go back or stay where you are. There's some like that today in the church. Secondly, they were the Sadducees. They were the liberals and modernists of the day. They emphasized the present, the new way. They would probably be called progressives today. Their message was, go ahead, go ahead. Then there were the Herodians. These had no real convictions at all. Their position was one of compromise, and they had the philosophy, if you can't beat them, join them. Theirs was the now way, and their message was, go with. The Zealots was the fourth group. These were the social activists 
who aggressively bucked the establishment. They constituted the antagonistic way, and their message was, go against. Then finally, there were the Essenes. These were the escapists. These were they who advocated separation from the world. This was exclusive way, and their message was go out. End of quote. That's Dr. MacArthur. I like that. But then Jesus comes on the scene at that time, and this is what he says to them in the Sermon on the Mount. All these are wrong ways to find true happiness and peace with God. To be truly blessed of God, you must go in. You must go in, Jesus says. Lasting happiness and true blessedness has its source in God and begins within man, not without man. Friends, that was radical and transforming, and it's still so today. But one more point. Please notice that the Beatitudes follow a specific structure. First, there's a statement of promised blessing. Second, there's a description of a demanded characteristic. And then third, there is the basis for the promise of blessing. What brings the blessing about? So then, let's begin by looking at the first Beatitude. I call it the beginning point for true happiness, or true blessedness. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't that sound beautiful and comforting? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But what does it mean? Notice first of all the statement of blessing. It is blessed. That's the statement given. Blessed. Now, there are three aspects to the meaning of this Greek word, makarios, that is translated blessed in this passage. First, it means to eulogize or to speak well of someone and is used with reference to both God and man. For instance, with reference to God, it says in Luke one sixty-eight, blessed be the Lord God. And then with reference to man, it says, bless those who curse you. Now, in this context, the word blessed can be translated as either praise or to speak well of. But second, it also means to experience a state or condition of joy, just like that of God. For instance, in 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, quote, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which is committed to my trust. And again, in chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, God is a joyful God, and he wants us to be just like him. This is an eternal joy. It is a state of inner bliss and peaceful contentment and tranquility that is not dependent upon external circumstances. But third... The word blessed also means to be approved of. And so when a man blesses God, he is saying that he approves of God. When God blesses a man, he is showing his approval for the man. So now please listen carefully to this definition that I will give, because it will be the governing theme and emphasis 
of this entire series of message. Here is the definition of what it means to be blessed when it comes to the Beatitudes. To be blessed of God means to be approved of God so that one experiences an inner state or condition of tranquility and peaceful contentment regardless of outward circumstances. Please allow me to repeat that. To be blessed of God means to be approved of God so that one experiences an inner state or condition of tranquility and peaceful contentment regardless of outward circumstances. So, this is not mere happiness. This blessedness goes beyond that. You see, happiness is based on happenings around us, events. If these happenings or events are favorable, a person is happy. If they are not, the person is unhappy. However, blessedness transcends events and happiness and rests on one's relationship with God. And so, as someone has written, and I quote them now, Where is happiness? It is not found in unbelief. For instance, Voltaire, the infidel, said when he was dying, I wish I had never been born. Happiness is not in pleasure. Lord Byron said at the end of his life, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Happiness is not found in money. Jay Gould, the multimillionaire, said when he was dying, I suppose I am the most terrible and miserable man on the face of the earth. Happiness is not found in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield said on his deathbed, Youth is a mistake. Manhood is a struggle. And old age is a regret. Happiness is not found in military glory. Alexander the Great, the youthful conqueror of the world at his time, he wept and he said, There are no more worlds to conquer. And he died a drunkard's death. And so I say, friends, as we bring this message to close today, true happiness, true blessedness is found in Jesus Christ alone. That is the message of these Beatitudes. And this first Beatitude describes for us the means of entrance into that blessedness. So next time, Lord willing, we will look at this Beatitude in detail. Until then, as always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. 
we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the saints and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again